What's going on, everyone? Mike O back with another episode of Hobby Talk. Thrilled to have my buddy Ed Wesker Griff back with me again. Going to do a special episode here. Just have some conversation about Major League Baseball and the baseball card hobby. There's just so much going on, so much to talk to. Was really, uh, really interested in getting some conversation going. So, Ed, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Great to be back. Looking forward to discussing the various topics in the hobby and also the return of baseball. Hopefully the return of baseball, of course. It's been a long road. I mean, gosh, the World Series between the Nationals and Astros feels like ancient history. We had a whole offseason, a whole bunch of drama that we don't really even feel like talking about right now during the offseason. We had spring training gearing up, you know, just weeks away from opening day, and then the pandemic hit. And next thing you know, baseball went away, and you kind of kept anticipating a potential return with that fear of there not being a return. The squabble from both sides, the Players Association, the owners, it was really something that could be seen as torture towards us fans at least that's the way I felt I feel like you probably uh feel similar but just like the daily news the ups and downs of is it or isn't it coming back finally an agreement um is in place for this season of course uh Rob Manfred was able to uh based on their prior agreement implement a season both sides agreed on what they had to agree on at that point and tentatively, it is scheduled to come back in a little less than a month or so, July 23rd, 24th, spring training starting in less than a week. So uh, while there are still fears of what could happen and what could interrupt the season, it being back is uh, positive news for baseball fans like you and me. Would you agree? Definitely. I'm very happy to see it back. I know there was so much drama going on and we really saw the ugly side of baseball, that business aspect between the bickering between the owners and the players. And it's good to see that Manfred did step up to the plate and got things together and is getting the players back onto the field. And we got these 60 games, which I like, I know the players wanted 70, but 60 seems pretty good. It's I feel, feel tons of excitement about it because this is going to be a season unlike any we have seen before because in my personal opinion I feel like and every single team has a legitimate opportunity to win the World Series and that's not something that you can normally say every season there's always teams like that are not competitive that you think you know it's just going to be a long summer for them like the Orioles last year, they were they were really, really bad. But every team this year, in my opinion, has an opportunity to win. So it's going to be really wild to see. Yeah, it was ugly for a while there. And it was definitely one of those things that was just, I mean, with everything going on in the country, with unrest, with mass unemployment, with still fears of the virus, and it obviously not being cleared up while you've gotten a little more used to living in this new world. Um, it's still something that's weighing on people's mind and people are, you know, just a lot of people aren't in a good frame of mind and you've been looking towards sports to, uh, give you something to distract you. Cause there's so many things that people have been looking forward to that has been stripped away, whether it's 
you know, family gatherings and parties. And a lot of people have had their life interrupted in terms of like weddings, losing jobs, all this stuff. I mean, even simple things like looking forward to newly released movies that have been pushed back. I mean, small things like that, that people count on to get through life. And it was an absolute disgrace. It's certainly worth talking about disgrace on both sides, the owners, the players, um, both sides can look in the mirror, shake their heads at themselves and go, you're an idiot. You've acted like an idiot. Because to me, um, baseball owed it to their fans. I mean, the fans and the history, not just the fans right now paying, but fans who have been doing it for decades and a century plus that have built this sport and made it possible. Both sides to me um, owed it to get back on the field. And of course, hey, if they can't play safely, that's one thing. And I've said all along, if you can't play due to the virus, everyone's going to understand. If it's about money, total disgrace, totally unforgivable if they would have not played a season due to financial reasons. And, you know, it goes on both sides. So that, that was really frustrating. But now that we've gotten past that, while we all know there's still labor disagreements to happen in future years right now, we're just so starved for baseball as baseball fans who are so close to a new season. Um, the excitement is definitely building towards them getting on the field. Of course, you know, Hopefully they're able to do it safely. But the one thing I want to get your thoughts on this, Ed, I've heard some people, and especially when it was going on before they made the agreement, and I understand people are frustrated, but I would actually hear people say, just cancel the season. 60 games is an illegitimate season. It makes no sense. Don't even bother playing. It's not worth playing. I completely disagree on that point, but I just want to get your thoughts on, uh, you know, a 60 game season. Would a zero game season, a canceled season, really be better than a 60 game season i mean any type of baseball we get is definitely good in my opinion uh to those people who say that they'd rather have a canceled season than 60 games i'm kind of questioned why they're even a baseball fan so to speak because we love this game so much and it's just a great morale booster to finally see baseball being played in the summertime i mean it's something that i really look forward to Baseball is my favorite sport, so to be able to finally get a chance and an opportunity to enjoy the game. And I know with all the drama that was going on between the players and the owners, it really rubbed people the wrong way because you see that really ugly side of the sport, the business side. And I don't think the players did themselves any favors when they went on that whole when and where campaign and then the owners gave them a game essentially what they wanted the 60 games that they were originally asking for. And then they turned it down. So that really, uh, that one and where slogan really backfired. But like I said, it's all water under the bridge. We, we do have it. We do have baseball back now. It is going to be a legitimate season. Thankfully it's, it's not 48 games. I originally, there was a lot of news coming out that it would only be 48 games. And I wasn't really feeling that really too well, but at least we're getting 60 and anything can happen. It will be legitimate. And it's just going to be a very one-off wild season. Yeah, I completely agree. First off, on both sides, there there was kind of like that roller coaster ride where people were like on the owner's side for a while because the players were coming off as super greedy. I mean, both sides, neither side was right, but you'd have, well, this is the lesser of the two evils. Then the player said when and where. And everyone was jumped on the player's side, like, all right, they're ready to play the season, just play. But then once they turned down the new offer, which was essentially what they wanted, probably not a perfect proposal, but then they kind of lost the fans after that. People are like, you just said when and where. 
they just told you when and where. So it was back and forth, but we're by that. Um, for the people who wanted to cancel season, I just assume they're people who aren't baseball fans. Like, listen, we're not in the normal world. We just aren't. I would love to by now have gone out to a game, whether it be a minor league game or major league game. It's something that I've been doing for, you know, more than 30 years. It's some of the great memories in life are going to baseball games with family and friends, going on baseball trips. These are all things that I count on and look forward to every year. And we're not going to be able to do that this year. We don't even know if we'll be able to do it next year. Who knows? That's one of the struggles of the pandemic is not only are we in this now, but we really don't know when this is going to come to a close. Uh, when will we get back to normal or the normal we used to find to be normal? Like when? We don't know. We don't know if it's like I've seen people talk about football. So people have just assumed football season will be fine, and I just think that is extremely naive. I'm not even counting on 2021 being a normal season. Maybe there'll be fans back. Maybe at a lower capacity, maybe not. I mean, we just don't know. But for right now, I want to focus on Major League Baseball. In a 60-game season, sign me up right now. I would have taken a 20-game season if that's all we could do. You know, <laughs> circumstances are circumstances. Things have gone crazy. But just to see guys back on the field, just to be able to look forward to a game on a nightly basis there for two months is going to be amazing. And as someone who loves, you know, like the history of baseball, you know what I hate looking back on? 1994 and going, damn, there was no World Series. Seasons not take place. How is that any good in any way, shape, or form? 60 games, it's a legitimate season. They're going to play on the field. You know what's going to happen? The teams that get their act together and play well, they're going to earn themselves potentially a championship. You know what also happens in a long season? Teams are the best team in baseball, and guys get hurt, and that hurts their season. And hey, maybe a team with more depth wins, but sometimes a team just gets hot at the end. And that happens time after time. Remember the Colorado Rockies back in, what, 2007? When were they the best team in the National League? The last month of the year? They were kind of just okay. They were a good team for most of the year. And they went on a crazy hot streak at the end of the year. I mean, this stuff has always happened. So I actually think this is potentially could be one of the most exciting seasons of all time. I think it's going to be amazingly fun to watch. 60-game sprint. We'll see what happens. One cold streak could sink you. One hot streak could propel you into the postseason. I do think we're going to have some tiebreaker scenarios are possible because we could see a lot of teams bunched up. Things aren't necessarily fair based on the way the schedule is being laid out, but again, it is what it is. What I like to see them you know, in the example of the Phillies, since we're both Phillies fans, would I like to see them play every team in the National League? Sure, I would. But, you know, they're going to just be able to play regionally. So they're going to play Eastern teams. Uh, so I think it'll be fun. It'll be interesting to see uh, what it is. I've seen people talk about asterisks and stats. Forget it. It's the year 2020. We don't need asterisks. If a guy hits 400, we're going to know he hit 400 playing 50 or 60 games. Like, we're not a. Uh, we know what it is. You know what else you could do? You could put an asterisk on guys who hit 458 when they counted statistics differently and guys didn't even use gloves in the field. So baseball is an ever-evolving sport. This is a new evolution. It's going to be a different type of season. I think it's going to be a fun season. It'll be shortened. There's some new rules. Uh, DH in the National League could care less. Would I prefer to long-term have 
the NLAL continue to be split? Sure, because that's what I'm used to. But it makes all the sense in the world to have a DH this year, so I'm fine with it. The only rule that I kind of don't really necessarily care for is the runner on second in extra innings. But again, I'll take whatever I can get. I honestly, um, you know, don't disagree with the fact that you'd prefer not to be playing 20 inning games. So I just went on my little uh, thoughts on this uh, upcoming season and uh, why I think that baseball being back in any capacity is awesome. Uh, any uh, points you'd like to add to that, Ed? I would just like to reemphasize that, you know, any team, and we don't normally see this every single baseball season, but any team can take home the championship this year. And I just find that so intriguing and and exciting because if you look at examples like last year in 2019, you know, the first team to 30 wins, I believe, was the Seattle Mariners. They started off incredibly hot. They were leading the West, I think, all the way to mid-May. So what happens if that happens this year? They they would be playoff bound. They might win the West this year if if they had a 60-game season last year. Then you have the World Series champions, the Washington Nationals. They started off terribly last year in April and May. There was rumors that they were going to fire their manager. So, like I said, 60 games is definitely going to be a sprint, but like any team has a possibility to maybe do it. Anyone can win the MVP. Anyone can win the Cy Young. And normally you have your usual suspects with those awards. Like if I'm an American League player this year, I'm salivating because you have an opportunity to finally knock Trout off the MVP uh, pedestal because it seems like he's always winning it every year. Now, who knows? Maybe you have an opportunity. So it's just, it's really intriguing as a longtime baseball fan. And there's so many great possibilities and, it's going to be cool to see a lot of fans of teams that aren't normally going to be engaged in a long season be engaged because their teams have a legitimate chance to, you know, get hot, make some noise. Because baseball, there's tons of bad teams every year that get hot, that go on good streaks. I mean, the, the Orioles last year, they won like 53, 54 games. I mean, even the bad teams compile wins. So this whole 60-game dynamic is going to be just so intriguing. I'm really looking forward to it. I just looked real quick. It looks like I believe four of the six teams who ended up winning the division, their respective divisions last year, were in first place 60 games through the season. And one of them that didn't were the Milwaukee Brewers, who still want a wild card spot so obviously the long season tests your overall depth and great roster and I understand it's a it's a marathon and that's fine but again you know most seasons aren't played during a pandemic so I'm happy to get anything the one team that didn't make the postseason that was in first place 60 games through were the Philadelphia Phillies so I would have preferred a shortened season last year looking at that <laughs> we'll see the Phillies have a history of collapsing in the last couple of years so hey maybe this will be good news uh maybe the Giants make a run maybe Gabe <laughs> how crazy would that be for 2020 Gabe first year with the Giants they win the series that <laughs> That would that would irate uh, a lot of people in the Philadelphia region for sure. That'd be that that'd be ironic. No, but it's just exciting. I mean, God knows we've all had 
you know, different things go through our minds and everyone has lost something, right? Some people more than others, clearly, but it's just, man, it's been a rough three months. It really has. I mean, just life interrupted. So looking forward to a baseball season is just going to be, it's going to be awesome. And I, I just really do hope that things go smooth and they're able to play. And, you know, not only is it a shortened season, and will it affect obviously the number of games played and overall st- statistics? But now injuries are a big thing. Like it only takes one injury to knock you out for half the season or maybe more. And of course, you're going to assume some players will test positive and hopefully they're separated when they test positive. And you're going to end up losing players, you know, for a month or so. Some of the guys who have already had issues, like Charlie Blackman's the one name I know that's been made public that's a bigger name. Will he be able to start the team season on time? You would think most likely at this point, um, but he won't get any kind of spring training in. So, you know, we'll just have to see uh, what happens. But as a baseball fan, I'm excited. And I really do think it will help the hobby in uh, kind of various ways. The sports card hobby, uh, I think it already has. I think it's brought, you know, the the hobby's been hyped for a while, but I know the night of it, the night it was announced, um, seeing a lot of activity on eBay, a lot of people just, they got baseball in their mind. They're excited. They're, uh, you know, sending offers and picking up cards of some of their favorite players or from their favorite teams. And I do think this spring training leading up to opening day will, uh, hype the hobby up even more. And then once the season starts, kind of anything is possible. Some stuff will probably rise. Some stuff will probably fall. It's all going to depend on kind of performance. Yes, definitely. And, I'm sure there's there's going to be players that get on hot streaks, maybe younger players like a Bo Bichette or Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or Keston Hira. They maybe get on a hot streak and, you know, it's only 60 games. So maybe those guys might be potential MVP candidates if they get really hot and then their cards might go really, the hype might really uh, sink in for these, uh, for some of these cards. So it's definitely going to be, interesting for the card market to see because normally the old adage with baseball and you know you could apply this to any of the sports for the modern players like when the season progresses if a player's doing really well or you know they go four games in a home run their prices tend to spike and then if you're slumping your prices tend to drop down but since we're in such a condensed season you know, if someone's in like 400, I could see their cards maybe doubling or tripling, but, you know, it could go the opposite way too. Maybe Vlad, Vlad Guerrero Jr. or another, uh, maybe Acuna. I know he's kind of a hobby darling right now. If he goes out there and he really, really struggles, I could see maybe his prices dipping a little bit. And another thing to keep an eye on in the hobby is prospects. Because of the new setup, it's going to be a, for spring training here. It's going to be a 60 player pool. And when they go to opening day, they're going to have 30 players on the active roster, I believe. And I, I don't know all the exact rules. I know there's going to be like a taxi squad and all kinds of stuff in case you need to add players due to whatever, someone testing positive, someone getting hurt, whatever it is. And as the season goes on, it drops to 28. And then I think eventually to 26 active on the roster, but there's no minor league season going on this year. So a lot of top prospects are being added to these 60-player um, pools. I know for the Rays, Wander Franco will be in that. 
uh, top prospect for the Mariners. Julio Rodriguez will be on that. And I know, you know, with, with the Phillies here in Philadelphia, um, Alec Bohm and Spencer Howard, two of the Phillies' top prospects, are expected to be on that. And there's a good chance those guys are going to make uh, their major league debuts this year. There's a real strong possibility of that because they're not getting development in the minors. So it's like, what is there to hurt? And, you know, there's such an opportunity, like you said, for kind of anyone to have that chance to potentially win this year. It's kind of all in. So I think that's going to be really interesting to see if some of these prospects get their shot in the majors. I think you're going to see a spike in some of those prices. And if they fail miserably, you might see a collapse of their market. We'll see. That would be a bit of an overaction because you got to remember these kids are super young and generally speaking would be in the minor leagues. But I think that's uh, another interesting aspect, both for baseball to kind of get an early glimpse of the future, but also for the hobby to get this accelerated potential major league debuts. Now, I think these super young guys, I don't think they would make their way into like a Topps update product because I, I honestly don't know what I expect out of a Topps update because generally speaking, the cutoff for that product is some point in late July. So I don't know. That'd be about when the season's starting. And I think the trade deadline this year is going to be August 31st. So I don't know. Tops Update's going to be kind of a weird product. We'll probably get some rookies in it that end up making teams, but I, I don't think they would. Tops has a tendency to kind of plan things out. We saw that with Jordan Alvarez. His rookie cards could have easily been an update last year, but I do think you'll see a lot of guys held out to 2021 products, some of the top prospects. But it's just going to be, I think it's going to be fascinating. I'm just absolutely thrilled um, of the potential season and looking forward to it uh, in every aspect, both watching the game and uh, following the hobby. I think one thing we didn't touch on that I, it just dawned on me it because it's something that's going to happen in the game, but it's also going to have hobby. It's going to affect the hobby as well. A certain aspect of it is pitchers. I think managers in 2020, in 2020 are definitely going to approach starting pitching in a, from a unique, from a unique spot, because a lot of these guys have been sitting around or they've been, you know, getting into routines, but a lot of them haven't really been pitching, you know, regularly. And it's all about getting a routine down. So I can see a lot of the starting pitchers really not going far. So that might affect a lot of starting pitchers or, pitching prospects values if they get called up because I really can't see a starting pitcher going the distance. No, I, th I think you're going to, I think early on you're going to see three, four innings, honestly, and guys yeah. work their way up to five and six, but pitching numbers, statistics, you know, I think you're going to have to look at those analytical numbers to kind of show how dominant a guy is. The compiling numbers I think will be brutal this year. Guys aren't going to compile strikeouts and, Honestly, guys aren't going to win a lot of games. I wouldn't be surprised if some, you know, one of those strong seventh, eighth inning guys ends up leading the league in wins or something, you know, coming into a lot of close games and getting wins. But we might see just a different, you know, I think managers will approach things maybe a little differently. We might see more of this, um, what Tampa Bay did last year, where you have an opener and then you have, you know, one of your strong pitchers your typical starting pitchers come in and pitch maybe like innings three to seven or something I don't know I, I mean it's just a different type of year it's going to be uh it's going to be weird and uh you know you don't have to worry necessarily about pinch hitters and stuff in the National League because you're going to have the DH 
uh, rule in effect. So it's going to be, it's definitely going to be a different, a different type of baseball season, but that doesn't mean it can't be uh, highly enjoyable and a lot of fun and, you know, peak peaking the interest of baseball fans. I'll say one thing I normally, if anyone knows me or they watch some of my videos, they know sometimes I make bold predictions. Uh, I'll say something that's maybe a little crazy, but bold prediction. I feel that either in the National League or the American League, one of the Cy Young winners will be a relief pitcher. I could definitely see someone having like a .75 ERA or something this year. Because, I mean, if you look at it last year, you had some guys like, didn't that Ryu for the Dodgers wasn't his ERA under one for a big portion of the first half? Yes, he was a he did really really good, but I think he fell off a little bit in the second half. Yeah, it's definitely a possibility. It's just going to be the awards are going to be crazy this year. It's just going to be like who knows? It's just going to be it's going to be a different type of year. But I'm certainly looking forward to it, and I know card collectors are certainly looking forward to it as well. Uh, for you guys listening to the podcast, if you're listening to it on YouTube or SoundCloud or iTunes, um, make sure you hit that like button. If comments are available, would appreciate your comments. I'm joined by Ed. He is Wesker Griff on YouTube. So if you're on YouTube, make sure you check out his channel. Fun channel. Someone who's been involved in the hobby for a very long time. He's been involved on social media for a long time, but specifically YouTube, 10 plus years Ed, have you ever seen uh, anything like what we're seeing now in the YouTube space? Obviously, it's an ever-evolving uh, community of collectors. People have been making YouTube videos since YouTube came out on sports cards. And there's just kind of generations of people who get involved and come in and get get really into it. And of course, lately, the trend is kind of the independent kind of teams making videos. People... Um, you know, who put out channels, but they're not just doing it on their own. They're not showing out their collection. They're kind of doing it as a promotional vehicle for a business, which is fine. Everyone obviously can do what they want, uh, but they're a little less involved in the hobby aspect of, or the community aspect of the hobby uh, on YouTube. But now the new trend right now is the flippers and it's like it's flipper mania investment mania in the hobby in general but i uh, just wanted to get your kind of take on the youtube aspect of that because it seems like every day when i'm sitting there um kind of flipping through because i have different ways i watch i have you know my subscription list which i'll go through and i'll add videos to my watch later because the community is so vast on youtube at this point it, it's just absolutely impossible to watch everything i used to be able to just kind of watch everything on my subscription like that's just those days have come and gone a long time ago so i usually just pile stuff in that watch later list and i'll watch some stuff as it comes out and sometimes days behind but i also use uh, whatever the home button is which suggests different things so you kind of can find people that way as well and like every day there's a new channel um promoting investing sports cards or flipping sports cards so i mean have you ever seen a takeover of this uh size and scale in such a short period of time in your time on the youtube platform uh, that's that's really loaded mike i think i gotta really i gotta try to word this uh right but personally i don't like it i don't get it well, I do get it. These guys are trying to make a buck. But 
we are seeing a heavily we are seeing a big influx of people doing investing videos and trying to uh, sell their uh, I guess sell their brand or sell their uh, data or or whatever but I'm not a, I'm not really a fan of it I'm more of a I've always stressed community as long as I've been on YouTube, YouTube's always been a community to me. And, and I just feel like a lot of those, that type of, that part of YouTube is, it's really non-communal. There's not too many interactions that go along. Like you don't see some of those channels commenting or, you know, being involved, doing collaborations or, just being a communal member and for as long as i've been on youtube it's always been about community friendships uh helping out fellow collectors spreading your knowledge everything like that everything a good community does but there has been a strong influx of you know chat of newer channels i would say within the last like six to seven months and it seems they're driven by the dollar and I'm not into that. That's not for me. And what I do is I just, it's there, but it, it's, it's not for me. I just don't watch it. I just think at this point, like, obviously I encourage everyone to make videos and get involved. And to me in today's collecting world, it's not possible or practical to just collect and never sell anything. Now, that also depends on what type of collector you are. If you're a specific just player collector or team collector, you can obviously just keep buying singles and adding them to your collection. But if you break stuff, like for me, I, I can only speak from my perspective. If you break stuff, like there's, it's not possible to keep every one of those cards. Um, and, you know, everyone collects a little differently. I know both you and I both like getting cards slabbed. We like grading stuff. It's just there's something fun about getting cards graded. I, I don't know. It's kind of silly in a way, but it's also fun. I, I don't know how really well to uh, explain it, but there's a lot of expenses, right? Either way, that's my point. If you're going to break stuff, wax is expensive. If you're going to grade stuff, grading fees are expensive, just the hobby in general is pricey. So, you know, I have obviously no problem with people selling stuff. I, I, I sell some stuff. I, I'm a collector first. Absolutely. There've been plenty of times where I should sell stuff, but I keep it for my collection and you see the price rise and you see the price fall and you look back and you go, yeah, I probably should have sold that. But, um, so I have no problem with people selling cards and without people selling cards, there's no cards for us to buy. And I think you and I are similar in a way, just maybe different scales. So we both buy stuff and we sell some stuff. You know, sometimes you just decide, you're like, ah, you know what, this doesn't necessarily fit my collection right now. Or I ended up with an extra one. So I have no, I applaud um, and I appreciate people driven to sell stuff, um, you know, because it, it does take some discipline to sell some stuff. I think what bothers me right now and what concerns me for the hobby is that everyone's a dealer and everyone's an investor and everyone's a flipper. At least it comes off that way. And obviously it's not everyone. And like I said, a lot of people are going to sell some stuff and that's no issue. But my problem is, and my concern is what I should say is there's so many people that are literally in it for no reason other than the flipping 
and what they call investing, which is not investing. That's also just flipping. It's buying a card at one price and selling it, you know, within a couple months at uh, a higher price. And, you know, if you end up at some point with more people selling than buying, well, that's when it tanks uh, a market. And just, just if there's no one to sell stuff to, well, then you got to lower your price. And then someone else is going to lower their price and people undercut each other. Uh, left and right. We've seen that with a recent product recently, which we won't get too much into because I know that topic has been exhausted. I mean, that that's one of my concerns. If I love seeing the hobby hype. I love seeing the excitement behind the hobby. Um, it's fun. It's definitely fun to see prices increase, especially stuff you've owned for years. It's definitely entertaining. It's a form of entertainment. But I just think that the hype, if it just brings in too many outsiders that aren't in it for collecting, that's where it has a, could have eventually a really negative effect on overall values. And if you're a collector, you're not necessarily completely motivated by values. But if you've put a lot of time, effort, and money into your collection, certainly you want it to have some value, if that makes sense, if I explain that right. So... That, that definitely makes sense. That definitely worries me from a hobby aspect and from a, you know, a community on social media. And I can't speak because I'm, I'm on Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff. But I don't. It's one of those things I look at here and there, and I post stuff here and there. YouTube's a thing I'm on constantly all day, and not necessarily just in the community. You know, I watch a ton of other stuff as well, but strong in the community. And that's what I worry about a little bit with that being overtaken because I, I watch some of these channels and I watch some of these videos and there's definitely a lot of people with a lot to share and a lot of people are involved in the community and I fully respect and enjoy their videos for sure. But there's a lot of people just coming in that literally have no idea that there ever was a community. They learned about it from a big influencer and I just hear them giving this advice and giving these tutorials and I'm like, it's very clear you've been involved in the hobby for like a month maybe six months. Like you literally don't know what you're talking about and that's fine. Like it takes time to learn, but you, there's people going on and listening to people who don't know what they're talking about. And now they're going to make mistakes and get burnt. And that's what kind of bothers me a little bit. And then uh, another thing I would say is, you know, if you're subscribed to some, if you're paying money for advice on the hobby, please stop. It is widely available. Find the old school collectors tons of free knowledge out there, tons of knowledge to be learned. And it takes a while, but the hobby, you could do a freaking eight year course on the hobby and you wouldn't get through it. Um, there's just so much to learn from a hundred plus years of the hobby being around. And that, that's another thing you got to kind of be careful, uh, with as well, with people giving you advice that really isn't worth a dime. I, I agree with pretty much everything you just said there, but one, one thing I'll equate this to, I'll try to use a metaphor here. I think there's definitely, and you, sh I've seen some of the videos because they've been sent my way of some of the revisionist history from certain bigger channels that try to talk about how the YouTube community started a couple years ago. And it reminds me of, I'll use a, a musical metaphor here. You know, when Nirvana came to prominence in the nineties, they were like, Oh, it's a, there's some people that tried to say that it was a punk revival. 
well, punk was flourishing in the 80s. There was a huge underground scene. There was Black Flag. There was Minor Threat. There was Bad Brains. There was the Ramones. There were so many great bands going on. Did we just completely forget about them just because they weren't as successful or popular as Nirvana? So it's equated to the YouTube communities. The YouTube community has been around for a long time. It's been around since... As far as I can tell, it's been around since like 2006 on YouTube. And I'm sure it was, it's probably been around earlier than that. I mean, there's so many people that have come before us. And I've been on YouTube for over 10 years. I haven't even compared to some of these other guys that started in the early 2000s uh, to the mid 2000s. I mean, there's so much history on this platform. There's just this was the the epicenter. I mean, this was before Instagram, before Twitter. This was the place to be to make videos, show box breaks, because you could you could write on a message board and show some pictures of what you busted or what you broke. But it's totally different, you know, to watch a video and see what's being open, see what's being broken. So unfortunate there i don't want to try to be too negative and focus on some of the stuff that's been bothering me but there is a lot of things going on in the hobby that i i'll equate it to the 2020 gloom but it is kind of disheartening to talk about a retail aspect of the hobby to not even be able to go to a target or walmart and be able to pick up a blaster box anymore i mean it's just it's just craziness and it's every product it doesn't matter what the product is i haven't been able to find anything at any target or walmart in the philadelphia area a major city on the east coast i haven't been able to find anything i can't even find score football and then you go on the secondary you go on to the secondary market and score football is double the price double the retail price for score football this is like a couple years ago score football was at the dollar tree it's i hope it's not the new normal because as someone who really likes to bust retail you know i enjoy occasionally open the blaster box while i'm watching a baseball game whether it be tops flagship from that year or gypsy queen or bowman i enjoy doing that it's fun it's always a lot of fun to bust a retail blaster, but I'm not going to play double retail, double the price of retail because it's a hot or hyped product. It's, it just doesn't make sense to me. I'll buy my singles. Buy so singles, one, baby. That's one aspect of the hobby that is just, it's, it feels like it's a, a dagger. It feels like it's a dagger in the gut and it's being twisted, but I don't know if it's due to the pandemic. I don't know if it's due to bad distribution. I don't know if it's boredom from people sending in with no sports, but I hope it's not the new normal because if that is the new normal, that really sucks because that's a big chunk of the hobby for me that I really get a lot of enjoyment out of. That's just going to be taken away. I do think, you know, the pandemic plays a role. I 
think distributors have been going in and refilling stuff a little less uh, often. And I do think, um, you know, supply chains have been interrupted in certain ways. And I, I just think, you know, product maybe not going out as consistently as uh, before. But I also think obviously the pandemic has kind of increased the hype. It's given people more free time to get involved and more and more people learning about the hobby. And I just do want to clarify with like the whole flipping things. Like I don't have a specific problem with people flipping cards. Um, It's more the, you know, some of the channels and there's some channels that are great and they explain, you know, why certain cards could go like that stuff's fascinating and interesting. It's when people get on there and they're making it, they like take someone else's top five list and it's like, here's the top five cards I think you should invest in. And I basically learned that from someone else. Cause I don't actually know what this product is. I've never actually watched this guy play this base, this sport. And I honestly didn't, don't even know what city this team plays in. Like that's the stuff that more so uh, frustrates me, but back to retail. Yeah. That that's, you know, We've been seeing this kind of develop for the last three, four years, um, especially 2017. You had the whole kind of judge mania. Then 2018, you had Otani mania. And then you kind of had the exclusive mania going on with the different products like the mega boxes and such. And of course, Acuna and Soto and all these hot rookies. And I mean, retail's gotten more and more difficult over the last couple of years, but it's at an all-time level now where it's just, it's crazy that, you know, everything of sustained value disappears instantly, not gradually, instantly, and then everything else disappears very quickly. Like you said, score football. I did see a few blaster boxes of score football one day, and it was like, I don't know, I'm not really feeling football right now, but I thought about picking up a box just kind of for the hell of it. And I also saw select baseball, which is kind of, you know, I love select football, but I'm not into the Panini baseball products, but I thought about picking up a box just kind of for the hell of it. And then the next day, of course, every single one gone. So I'm assuming one person came in and kind of cleaned them out, but it's just, it's kind of crazy. And you can't, you turn to hobby products and they're pretty much mostly kind of expensive, I actually would say if you do want to open something, Ed, something I would suggest is possibly Big League this year. It's actually, I think it's really nice. I think they've done a good job the last couple of years, but that's at least for a hobby box, like 30, 40 bucks. You get a big checklist. You got all the rookies. Definitely something that uh, I think people should look into because at least it's affordable because some of these flagship products and so-called premium products are just insane. Um right now but that's just part of the hype everything is super hyped right now retail products hobby products to break freaking even supplies are like double the price singles rookies parallels graded cards grading fees everything is going up it's that's you know just another worry will it price people out of the hobby because you you certainly don't want to lose collectors whatsoever but it's uh, it started out as really fun when this hobby boom st- boom started, and right now it's like uh, obviously I still enjoy the heck out of the hobby and following everything, but I have like that uneasy feeling like are things getting spiraling too far out of control? Where you know, didn't tops raise the price of big league? Was it big league ten dollars last year? And now it's twenty. 
Uh, I'm not sure what the blasters are. I, I think they did used to be $9.99. I'm not sure if they changed the price point, but the hobby boxes are still pretty affordable um, right now. I think it's like 18 packs. It's like th around $30, depending on where you get it from. They actually have a new one they just put out. There's, they have a different vehicles uh, to put that out there. I think there's a new box. It comes with seven packs and an action figure or something as well. Well, you know you're really going to be in a cardboard crisis if Top's Big League, which is really a product that's for children, <laughs> if that is going to be selling for double or triple the amounts on the secondary market. I'm going to Target and Walmart tomorrow to do some shopping because I do want to see if any Series 2 blasters got put out. I'm not holding my breath. I highly doubt that, that there will be any there. But it's... I really think a big problem is distribution because we have a – our community is pretty national. There's collectors on the East Coast and the Midwest, the Northeast, the West Coast, you know, down south, up north. So we got collectors all over the country. And whenever I ask any of these guys, hey, have you gone to your local Target and Walmarts? Have you found anything? West Coast guys, no, nothing shelves are bare uh, guys down south shelves are bare midwest midwest seems to do okay from the people i've talked to they've been able to find some stuff the rural areas uh more rural areas parts of the country seems to be okay but any metropolitan area or any area on the east or west coast it's it just just like it's nothing like two it's packs like, two packs of top stickers hanging there and that's about it, it. Maybe it's a like Fairfield box. Maybe a box of Star Wars from the sequel trilogy. Maybe a few Yu-Gi-Oh packs, a couple Magic, Pokemon, and then that's about it. Like nothing else. And then you'll find like the empty, the empty uh, uh, shelf hangers, and there's nothing in there. You're like, oh my god, they cleaned out every single you know, individual pack. And then you just see empty shelf, empty shelf. <laughs> like it's, it's nuts. I think again, I think the distribution is just really bad, but also, and you know, I don't even blame these guys that are doing it. The secondary markets, just the demand is like ridiculous. So you just have to be lucky and hope that when these are getting put out on the shelves that you're there, because otherwise if you're not there, when they put it out on the shelf, some got someone's just gonna roll along and load up the cart. And I can't say I blame people for doing that because I mean the secondary market, like I said, it's just it's just ridiculous the demand. So it's 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 uncharted territory. I've never seen anything like this. Yeah, even Tops.com can't seem to get their act together. They just came out with the Bowman Sapphire. And I don't know if anyone I got I was able to buy two boxes. Because I had an exclusive pre-sale invite from their Montgomery Club thing. But the next day, I tried to look. I didn't see. I mean, I'm sure some people got it, obviously. But I just hope that some individual collectors were able to get some. There's, there's definitely nothing more frustrating than seeing a bunch of people shut out. And then you have one of those big uh, breakers, Houdini or whoever, like who breaks like 20 cases of this stuff. I know it happened with Sapphire last year. To me, like that's a joke. Um, that dude should be banned from being able to buy direct from tops, but they're probably happy to sell stuff off to him. But 
Did that happen know. with Bowman? Like the Bowman, when Tops put Bowman, the Jumbos and the Hobbies, the website crashed. Like everyone on the forums and everyone on Facebook was saying, yeah, they hey, somehow did you even whoever get an opportunity? Developed, I, I know I have no understanding of how like these bots work or whatever, but it sounds to me like that's how everything's purchased. Even on Target's website, I've got notifications at 3 a.m. about like um, the stuff being restocked. And I click on it within 30 seconds and it tells me it's out of stock. Like who's up at three in the morning checking for that stuff other than me. So clearly there's something going on and it would be great if they can figure a way to fix these things. But I guess it's obviously more complicated than that. But that's, you know, those are the, you know, what we've been talking about now has come off really negative towards the hobby. I think we're both overall very positive on the hobby and we enjoy the hell out of it. And there's so many aspects and that's what I always try and tell people. Like there's a lot of ways to collect. Uh, you can break new wax, you can break old wax. I mean, even junk wax though is becoming expensive. You can grade cards. You can put cards in binders, cards in top loaders, uh, player collect, team collect, build sets. There's a lot of ways to collect and they're all fun and they're all rewarding in their own way. I just think you want to make sure you're being smart. Um, you know, just being smart with your purchases and you're going to evolve and develop as a collector. I mean, you might think, you know, who you are as a collector early on in your collecting career, but you don't, you definitely don't. You're going to evolve and change. Um, I know you're a huge modern guy, Ed. I've always been very pro modern, but honestly, I think part of it is the price spike. I am like increasingly becoming more and more interested in vintage and I've always had an appreciation and an interest in vintage. I just, I feel like right now so much modern stuff is so overhyped and some of it's overinflated and some of it will go up from here and a lot of it will hold value. But I just think not every player is a future hall of famer. And I feel like right now in the current climate of this hobby, every player is treated like they're a future hall of famer until they're not. And then they're still a really good player. This is certain guys get into that kind of hobby, like a Chris Bryant who's still very collectible and still has a fairly strong market, but it's like he lost his hype factor and he just gets almost forgotten. And now we have all these other young guys who are hyped and a lot of them will be really good players and perennial all-stars and award winners, but some of them won't, whether it's injuries or just poor performance or for whatever reason, some of these guys will fall off. So their values, you know, aren't going to be maintained as high, but, uh, I've been kind of trying to focus a little more on specifically collecting, you know, Philadelphia, Philly stuff, um, whether it's pre-war vintage or modern. And obviously I'm going to collect a mix of everything. I always have. I always will. But I want to be more careful about not kind of overextending myself on, you know, I, I don't know if I really need 20 of the same guy in a modern day autograph. Maybe it'd be better off to keep one or two of your favorites and, move the others and put it into something else. But we always change. We always get influenced by different people and what they collect and different things that we see. Oh man, that looks awesome. I'd love to add an example of that to my collection. I definitely get what you're saying. I've been self evaluating my collection and I've been doing a lot of reflecting on what I'm doing as a collector recently within the last couple months and vintage is definitely something I want to look more into and I want to start, 
you know, diversifying my collection a little bit more and adding some more vintage into it. And I have been slimming down a little bit on some of my cards, some of my modern cards that are selling right now for really good prices. And I think right now, you know, I don't need, you know, 10 PSA 10s rookie cards of the same guy. So I can, you know, let a few go. I've done that with Juan Soto with the 2018 Tops update. I've submitted a bunch of those to PSA. I'm happy with my three tens I got. I don't need ten tens. I can sell a few. And my PSA nines that I picked up at the card show uh, last year, do I really need those two PSA nines? They're I paid twenty, twenty, twenty-five bucks for them. You know, they're selling for sixty, seventy bucks now. I can let them go. You flipper, Wesker Griff is a flipper. <laughs> Same with Carson Wentz. I was going through my Eagle stuff, Carson. I don't know who's pumping Carson Wentz, but somebody definitely. That's is what's pumping. that's what's like really crazy is like I think I saw like Derek Carr being his stuff was rising. I saw I was like, dude, Derek Carr's been kind of a perennial disappointment for the last several years in the hobby. He was like a hobby darling for a couple of years, and I'm like, listen, he could be a he he's still young enough. He could have some great seasons. He could go on and win a Super Bowl. Who knows? But like, no reason for his price to start doubling and tripling. Like, what is going on? Like I was going through my cards and I'm like, I really like Carson Wentz. I'm a big Eagles fan. I have a lot of his cards in my collection. I got like three rookie autographs of him and I have a bunch of his cards, uh, PSA slabbed and his rookie cards from 2016 in my collection. And I'm looking at his prices and I'm like, where is the rise coming from? Like I just bought this card. Like for instance, I bought a disco prism of Carson Wentz in the PSA 10 back in January for $130 and I'm seeing his prism, his base prism go for like three, 400 bucks. I'm like, this is nuts. Yeah. There's definitely so certain like, products I, have gotten hyped. I know like prism football rookies have just gone crazy in price and obviously top update rookies in baseball and pretty much everything basketball. Like I don't even, I don't follow basketball much. So like, I don't get it, but I know like Zion Williamson, when I used to do the PSA group submissions, like I must have sent in like fifty Zion Williamson Prism rookies at like ninety nine dollar price points, and I'm pretty certain they're like five hundred dollars for a PSA ten now. I, I could be wrong because I don't look it up, but I know it's well above ninety nine. It's just <laughs> it's just crazy. But that's what I'm saying. There's so much money being thrown around in the hobby right now, and it's like that- is is it all because of people? investing in flipping where it's like i gotta i'm gonna buy this for 99 and sell it for 150 then i'm gonna buy it back for 175 and sell for 250 is it just that where everyone's just increasingly going up is it money being thrown around from people getting um stimulus checks slash you know unemployment bonus payments is it people legitimately not spending money on anything else i don't know what it is but i just don't see how the money can flow that freely forever you know at some point there's got to be some sort of correction in some way shape or form well that's definitely what happened with panini prism i mean there's certain players that are really just like pulling that product along and you know i think the collectors and the market have decided that that is the core product now because if you look at the price of Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes, his cards are, they're just astronomical. So it's having a trickle down effect to other rookies 
Yeah, I think I might have sold Bob Lewis, a friend of uh, ours. I think I supposedly sold him like a Prism Lamar Jackson for like five or ten bucks. Like I don't even really have much of a memory of this, so I'm assuming that's like a couple hundred dollar card now, if that's an accurate story, which it might be. I don't. He made mention of it at some point, and I'm thinking, I'm like, dude, I probably Prism. I probably opened like a couple retail packs or something. I I barely remember. I've never opened a hobby box of Prism uh, football. So Bob Lewis owes you a case of Yingling at the next national is what you're saying. Uh, supposedly, possibly no, but like the thing with Carson Wentz, you're talking about like Carson Wentz, like let's be realistic for a moment. This guy has incredible ability. He could go out there and win the MVP award. He could go win a super bowl or two for the Eagles. Those are all possibilities, but on field performance, I mean, has been nothing but a disappointment as an outsider and a non Eagles fan. Not that he hasn't played well, but you can't count on him. The year they won the Super Bowl, obviously he got the Eagles into an incredible position and had an incredible year on his way to an MVP, got hurt. Nick Foles took him to the promised land. Then he gets hurt again in the postseason. Now he gets hurt again. I mean, this is what, three straight years? It's like there's – I understand he'd continue to have a collectible market and Eagles fans are going to love him and collect him but his prices should not be spiking based on the fact that the guy's never completed a season and played when it means the most. So it's just even Reese Hoskins, who, you know, you and I both have probably oversized Reese Hoskins collections, you know, being Phillies fans. And I like Reese Hoskins and I think he's, uh, you know, a good player and a good dude. And he's been, you know, fun to follow his career. But I mean, honestly, last year he had, a disappointing year, an okay, solid first half and a horrific second half. So he has a lot to prove. And suddenly I've noticed like his tops Chrome and PSA tens selling for like $20, $25, which is not exorbitant by any means. But, you know, a few months ago you could find them. I mean, a lot of people would ask 15 or 20, but you could find them at auction for like 10, $12. Sometimes it's like, why is his price doubled? He hasn't done anything. He's not a, a super young prospect or anything. He's a younger player, but age-wise, it's like it's the hobby hype which is driving prices to the point where it's like some of the purchase potential purchases really don't make sense. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Carson last year did play the whole season. He just got hurt in that playoff game with that very dirty hit by Clowney, who. That wasn't the first time he did had a dirty hit on an Eagles on an Eagles quarterback. With Carson, I just feel like he's had some really bad luck in certain in certain situations where he's gotten hurt. Well, even when he got hurt in the Super Bowl year, it was kind of fluky. He was diving for the end zone, and then he just got hit in an awkward situation on his knee. But tremendous player, tons of potential still very young. So I can understand a little bit why his prices are have risen, but I don't understand why they've doubled or quadrupled. Like yeah, for example, a slight like, rise in anticipation of the season makes sense. An explosion yeah, is what is I, I understand. I always understand this, the slight rise, but like take for example, his 2016 Panini Donner's optic. I have several of those cards in a PSA 10 in fact, I bought one last year for like 25 bucks. All of a sudden it's $80. So I'm like how it like almost triple 
I'm like, what what the hell what the hell happened? Like I just bought this like five, six months ago. So obviously I sold it <laughs> just to uh because I don't need three of them. Who needs three of them? I, I only need one of them. I wanna I do Mike Mike and I we we both sell stuff. I don't wanna I I'll have to when I re listen to this on the playback, like I hope it in the beginning or in the middle of this podcast it didn't sound like I'm against selling or anything because we sell here and there. I mean, I think almost every single collector, unless you're just hoarding everything, I feel like every every collector out there does sell here and there. I mean, you almost have to because this hobby is not a it's not a cheap hobby. It's it's only getting more and more money. It's only getting more expensive. I've talked about this several times on my channel. It feels like at times I feel like I'm being priced out. Even if, you know, a big thing that I have loved to do that I've been doing for years on my channel is get going to card shows, going through value boxes, buying cards from the value box and submitting them to grade and to PSA. Now, even doing that, you know, the price of to send the cards in have gone up. PSA has risen the price. So, things always are rising in the price. So when you see an opportunity to unload a couple cards that maybe don't fit your collection or that you have a surplus of, I always say, go for it, reinvest uh, back into your collection or pick up something that you want. That's more desirable. That's always what I have done with my collection and always the way I've tried to uh, conduct myself. Yeah, no, hopefully it was made clear. Like to me, like I kind of, I feel like I stated that. Like I have no problem with people selling stuff. I, people have to sell stuff from time to time. Um, to me, it's more so the trend towards just trying to take advantage of um, people consistently. The whole, you know, it, it's an aspect of people who call themselves flippers and investors, basically just trying to get things, trying to sweep yeah, things underpriced, flip them for a higher price, and just kind of no concern for the health of the hobby uh, whatsoever or appreciation for the hobby. And again, there's going to be people who, you know, have a sports card business and that's fine. That it's, uh, it's a lot of work. So I don't have problems with that either. It's more the unethical. And especially when it comes to social media, people, you know, using that to pump prices just to unload stuff. And it's, there's just something to be concerned about a little bit with certain people, but overall, yeah. I mean, you got to buy and sell you. Like you said, it's an expensive hobby. Um, unless you're, you know, sitting there with money kind of coming in that you don't know what to do with. You got to make choices. Sometimes, sometimes you have to move something. Sometimes you'll regret that. And we all go through aspects, um, of life. I mean, at post college, I sold some stuff that I look back now and I'm like, one, I sold it for like, a 20th of what it goes for now. And second of all, I'm like, damn, I kind of really wish I still had that in the collection. But at the time, you know, that was a choice I had to make and made it. And of course, at some point you may and now do regret, but it's just something that happens in this hobby. Yeah. I think we were trying, I wanted to clarify. I think we were tr trying to talk more about the charlatans out there who will buy up the stock of a particular player, like buy pretty much all of his PSA 10s or PSA 9s or pretty much every notable rookie said player has, hold the cards, wait several weeks, and then 
you know, pump, 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 and then dump, 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 dump. Yeah, that's definitely something that goes on. You got to be, you got to be careful with certain things. You just got to kind of do your research and, you know, look, look for knowledge. There's a lot of knowledge to be had in the community, a lot of experience. And, you know, you can learn a lot quickly, but it's priceless. The information you get from years, decades of collecting. And there's a lot of people out there who have done that, who have a lot of valuable insight. So I think it's, it's wise to listen. Um, it's wise to put on lengthy videos and listen while you're working with cards, whether you're looking at cards for grading or sorting cards or doing whatever, maybe you're even doing something unrelated to the hobby, but to have that on in the background, I think you can learn a lot and you can, uh, it can help uh, promote thought for the hobby. Uh, before we wrap things up, Ed, it's been an hour, believe it or not, that we've been chatting. I uh, just want to get some thoughts from you on grading. We've talked about the prices um, rising from PSA. PSA is back and they're open and they're moving along. They've been uh, catching up on a lot of their older orders from late last year and early this year, which is definitely nice to see. They're kind of revamping some stuff, and hopefully they'll be moving orders along. They do still have a giant backlog, so much so that they recently rose prices fairly substantially for ultra-modern cards, so cards that were released in the last two or three years or so. Um, and SGC is now a bit behind, for sure. Their 20-day turnarounds have turned into more like 40 days, which is disappointing. It's still not you know four months behind, but we'll see how they tackle... Uh, this challenge ahead because they certainly they talked a lot and uh, kind of promoted themselves a lot um, and got a lot of promotion from people in social media as well which is hyped hyped up their uh, service so hopefully they can uh, you know get caught up in a somewhat timely fashion I understand both companies are overwhelmed both companies are currently hiring and such uh, moving facilities, doing what they have to do. But the hobby is just hyped up so much that it just seems to be unsustainable for these uh, grading companies along with you know the retail outlets and everything else. Obviously, we've been talking about this for an hour, how prices have risen. But uh, what are your kind of thoughts on the, you know, the current status of grading cards? Um, as much as SGC is currently struggling to keep pace, with their prices and the increase in values of SGC graded cards, do you kind of feel the way I do and see that, like, I think their ultra-modern submissions are going to continue to rise with the increases and in still lengthy weights from PSA? I would think it would make more sense to send stuff to SGC than pay more for the PSA. But then, of course, if less gets sent to PSA, then the values on the ultra-modern might rise I don't know. Where do we kind of go from here? Well, a couple things I want to touch on with Graydon. One is that PSA, I've noticed, has been more forthcoming. They've been a little more transparent, I feel. Steve Sloan has been, I think he's been sending out several emails recently uh, about company policy, about what they're doing, uh, their hiring process, and I equate that all to the market being a lot more competitive. You know, SGC has taken a good bulk of their uh, modern business uh, recently. They're doing, they're doing well. SGC, they've been getting so many orders. So it's nice to see that 
SGC is helping PSA, uh, you know, be more be more transparent. And it's nice to see PSA hire. They hired 25 new employees. So that's great for us collectors. When I read that news, I was clapping my hands. I was really ecstatic because PSA is getting better now. They're hiring. They just hired 25 more people for support staff. And hopefully there's a few graders in there because they still do have that million card backlog that they've had for two years. So they're doing good. And they seem to be committed to being more competitive and to trying to increase their turnaround times and to be better overall as a company. Now on to SGC. SGC right now is getting hammered to use a movie reference, another pop culture reference here. Maybe I feel like SGC right now is like Gundor from the Lord of the Rings, return of the King. <laughs> they are completely under siege with so many orders and they are getting absolutely hammered. Their turnaround times are no longer 20 days. I think right now I've been seeing a lot of people say it's been, you know, to the mid thirties to the forties. So I understand right now that they're having issues. It's taken them a little bit while to get their orders out, but I think I believe and that they can correct these issues that they can get the process done better. They're working more hours now. They're working on the weekends. They're doing everything humanly possible. They're trying to accommodate people. So they are struggling right now with the massive amount of orders that they're taking. But I think it's only going to get more crazy for them because PSA raising the prices on ultra modern, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are very cost efficient when sending in these submissions. So they're going to send to SGC to save, you know, a couple hundred dollars if they're sending in a 500 card order on, and it's all ultra modern cards. If you send to SGC versus send to PSA, you're going to be saving a crap ton of money now with the price increase that PSA has put in. So it's only going to get more crazier for SGC. I feel they're only going to be getting more orders now. I think Beckett even raised their prices a little bit as well. So SGC needs Rohan to answer the call. They need reinforcements. And I know a couple weeks ago, I think maybe even a month ago, they, they were hiring more people and starting to train more. I know that they're moving. And then you have these outside factors with Florida being a hotbed now for COVID uh, along with Arizona and Texas. So it's going to be really, really wild. I'd speak and Beckett, Beckett also has to watch out since they're headquartered in Texas, but it's just, it's real crazy right now with third-party grading, but I'm happy to see that the three companies, that there's more competition. It only benefits the collector. It's great for us. PSA is making a more consorted effort to hire more people and to be more transparent with what they're doing as a company. So I'm loving it. This is what I was hoping for when SGC started to really, really make a consorted effort to start taking up modern cards. So this is what this is what I hoped would happen. So I'm hoping SGC gets more of their uh, things back in order, that they get the process better, and that they become more efficient on their turnaround times. And 
then we can really, really start getting greatness for the collectors all around with PSA, Beckett, and SGC all pushing each other. So it's going to be good. Yeah, and the hobby is just we thought like grading was big like two years ago. It's even bigger now, especially with the influx of people coming in who maybe don't have the same eyes or level of experience for cards. I think people are more comfortable purchasing graded cards to kind of have a feeling or to know the value, what it currently is. And I think even people selling, um, they see it as a weight that safety kind of like hey this is what the card's graded it's an eight nine or ten whatever it is that's what you're getting deal with it or slash like that um increased value for the higher graded cards so uh grading is definitely here to stay it's been here to stay for you know a couple decades but it's like at an all new level now and i think competition is obviously great for any industry or hobby or business because again it's going to force uh, each entity to kind of self-evaluate and improve upon what they're doing. So it's good to see things kind of getting back on track at PSA a little bit. Hopefully SGC can uh, get themselves back on track and, you know, we get to enjoy our great at cards. Uh, definitely have some submissions out with both companies and can't wait to uh, get them back, get them reintroduced to the collection. Should be a lot of fun. It's just one of those things when you're, when you're in, you're in with, uh, grading i know for me i feel like i think i mentioned this pre-show it's been like three years since i've had the collection kind of intact all at one time because this consistently orders out so part of me wants to kind of just stop sending things in for a little while get everything back and kind of have everything but if you do that then you kind of feel like you're getting behind in uh getting stuff out to get it back sooner so we'll see but it's been a fun discussion ed talked a little bit about major league baseball's return hopefully everything goes smoothly certainly thrilled and excited to see them back i think that anticipation will continue to grow as training camps i mean they keep calling it spring training 2.0 even though it's summertime at this point it's definitely not spring when it's 95 degrees out certain days summer training um, but once that season gets started it's gonna be it's gonna be odd in ways you know to see an empty stadium i've seen silly things about cardboard cutouts like forget it like we know there's no one there like what is the point of that um but to, just to see these guys back on the field compiling some numbers and hopefully you know hopefully our favorite team will uh you know start off well and have a good mini season but it'll be it'll be a lot of fun and it's going to be interesting to see where the hobby goes from here things are uh very hot right now in the hobby and we'll see how long that continues are we in a uh a, you know hot mode that lasts you know through the end of this year is this like a three-year cycle five-year cycle or is this new normal i think they're all questions to uh eventually be answered but i think the hobby always has different cycles in and out right now rookie cards are on fire um high graded rookies specifically wax prices are crazy kind of of all levels so you got to pick and choose your battles and just kind of evaluate to see what you think is the best buy in the hobby right now i agree with all that and it's nice i've mentioned this i think a couple times maybe within the last several months but it's nice to see the hobby get back to its it's bread and butter it's roots rookie cards i mean i remember growing up as a kid in the 90s it was always chasing for the rookies we didn't have the autograph cards and we didn't have the patch cards and 
We didn't have the relic cards, so it was always, you know, get the rookie card of the of the star player. So it's nice to to see that resurgence of the rookie. I mean, that's been strong for the last couple of years, but it's kind of exploded, I would say, within the last several months. Yeah, it's gone nutty. It doesn't necessarily make uh, all the sense in the world, but hey, things rarely do. It's the year 2020. Virtually nothing makes sense. Anything we thought would happen hasn't happened. Anything that does happen is not a surprise, even though it should be a surprise. So why should the hobby be any different, right? Of course, definitely. And hopefully we get a card show, maybe. Uh, hopefully. It would be nice to go back to a show because I miss diving through those value boxes. <laughs> and it's always in the back of my head. Hey, have these dealers gone through these boxes? Because this is pre this is pre-pandemic, these boxes, so they might not have gone through here. There might be some buried treasure in these boxes. You never know. I definitely miss the shows. I miss interacting in person with friends in the hobby and getting out there and just, you know, even if you don't buy anything, just walking around and seeing things, giving you ideas of stuff you might be interested in adding to your collection at some point. All that stuff is fun, but it is what it is. Be smart. Be safe. Wear a mask if you're out in public. I think uh, I think we all need to do what we have to do to get back to eventually being able to go to shows, potentially the national, still scheduled for close to six months from now. Obviously would be coming up in a month. It isn't. Um, but if people are smart, I think uh, we could find some semblance of normalcy at some point in the future, but it's going to take time. It's going to take uh, more sacrifice on everyone's hands. So, Ed... Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of Hobby Talk. Appreciate it, as always. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Really enjoyed our conversation. Looking forward to listening to this back. And just want to tell people, be vigilant, be smart. Don't pay for advice. Make up, watch the games, make up your own mind, do some research. Don't pay for something that is readily available on the internet. And please wear a mask. All right, everyone, thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next time. Have a great one. 